Hi, I'm Bob Garlick, your host. Welcome to Season 3 of the Business Book Talk podcast. On each show, we will discover another great book that can help you improve yourself and your business. So, I invite you to sit back and enjoy this week's author and find out what makes this book a great read. Hi everybody, it's Bob again, and I have The One Thing, the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. Gary Keller and Jay Papasan were the writers. Jay is on the line with us today. Jay, um, in 30 seconds or less, what is this book about? Well, Bob, first, thanks for having me. Um, really happy to be on your show. The One Thing is a book for busy people. I think that the modern worker today has more demands on their time and their attention than ever before. Between the home you know, life, what we have to deal with there, two spouses working, and what we tried to provide with this book is a filter for figuring out what we should be saying yes to, and conversely, what we really have got to start saying no to. And it's that kind of book for busy people that frees them up to focus on what matters most. Mm. Now, you know, this, this isn't a new concept, uh, what makes your book different? No, this idea of achieving le- achieving more by doing less has definitely been around. I think one of the reasons that I felt confident, and I've been in book publishing for almost 20 years now, that this was a good title for us to pursue, is that this is the one thing that distinguishes Gary's career. My partner, Gary Keller, you know, he started his Austin real estate company 30 years ago from a single office and is now the number one real estate firm in the US. Mm. And when I met him, he's really smart, but he's not distinguished by his intelligence. He's a hard worker, but it's not that that distinguishes him. I quickly picked up that the thing that has made him successful is his ability to figure out what matters most and stick to it longer than the next guy. So I feel like he's lived this book and he has real tools and a It's not just an intellectual idea for him. He's living it. And we have tools that can help other people do the same. So that's what I think distinguishes it. It's not an intellectual concept. It's actually a program that people can follow to achieve results. Yeah, I think that's very true because, you know, when you go through, when you open up the book, it's different than any uh, average book you open up. The one thing that stands out, they've got these wonderful uh, diagrams and a lot of them, they're hand-drawn, they're very casual. I love that. But the thing that I love about this book is it's got this built-in underlines, this nice gray line that they put in there, and you can just flip through the book, and there's an underline. You'll read it, and it's a nugget of truth, a nugget of information. So it's a book that actually is written to save you time. Yes, and Bob, you want to hear a funny story. We, With our publisher's consent, we ask the question, you know, what's the one thing we can do to make this book even more effective for the reader? And as a result of that, we did some non-traditional things like the underlines. And we also got rid of the copyright page isn't at the beginning. It's at the end of the book Mm. and the half title and title pages, which if you're not in the business, you don't have any idea why you're having to see the name of the author three or four times before you get to read the book. We just (laughs) deleted it all. And we just this week got a letter from a librarian asking the publisher if she did not have a faulty copy of the book. Because she couldn't find those things. Wow. And I was I loved it because that was all very intentional. We wanted people to get to what they needed most as fast as possible. 
You'll have to put a subnote in there for your next edition. Say, attention librarians, please go to page. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, when or, or, or why did you decide to write this book? You know, this book goes back almost five years for us. Um, Gary's one thing, as we outline in the book, is he's a teacher. And so he and I, um, I was running our Keller Williams University, our real estate university, and we had just written a course. And Gary had written an essay called The One Thing. Um, I think it was called The Power of One, actually, about the one thing that real estate agents needed to do to be successful. And that book, that little essay resonated so largely within our company, we decided, wow, that's it. That's the thing we need to write a book about. And my publishing instincts were, yeah, this is why you're successful. And so we actually started it. But the funny thing is we set out to write a book on focus and we got distracted. <laughs> um, about halfway through um, the research period, um, as you well know, the market just completely went asunder. It was mm -hmm. a horrible, the biggest real estate collapse since the, the Great Depression. So mm -hmm. we actually stopped writing this book for almost a year and a half to write another book called Shift which was a education piece for real estate professionals on how to deal with the market. And then we got back to it. So in, in the end, I, I come back to what I said earlier, the fundamental decision is one, it's, it's a needed product. And I also think it, it's very much in line with how Gary has lived his life and grown his businesses. And so I like that um, it lines up and it's concentric with his life. Um, in the book, do you discover how people uh, can find their own personal one thing? Yes, we walk through that. And it's, it's part of our seminars right now. Um, we have a chapter in there where we kind of state that the people who are the most productive in life are those who figure out first their purpose. Um, and from a big picture, their one thing for their life or their career. And then priorities that come from that. If you're working on your priorities that are in alignment with your purpose, our contention is that you'll be as productive as you can be. So in that chapter on purpose, uh, we encourage people to explore it. Um, the expression that Gary's used, which I, I like, a lot of people get really caught up when you start asking them to talk about what they're here for, meaning in life. Those can be kind of heavy questions. And he uses the metaphor of dating versus marriage. I think a lot of people get so caught up in it that they can't even address it emotionally. But if you think of it, for this period of my life, what's the biggest thing that I need to be accomplishing? Like a student in college, they need to be preparing for getting a job. Um, that alone can give you kind of a beacon to help you make better decisions. And Gary encourages people just to date that idea for a while and see where it leads them. Nobody wrote anywhere that we have to know early what our purpose is, or even have to stick to that one thing forever, it can change over time, and it often does. Well, a lot of the book's premise is that, you know, discover what your one thing is, and then go nuts, and see if you can break through uh, your barriers. Uh, and if, if you can't, or your one thing isn't getting to where you are, to make a pivot and jump to another thing, but still be focused on your second decision. That's right. And, you know, we use the metaphor of lining up your dominoes that by doing the one thing that matters most in your career, um, I love that you said go, go nuts. Um, we advocate for your listeners that if you figure out what your one thing is, for Gary and I, we're book writers, right? So we research and we write. We advocate that you time block, block off four hours a day for doing that. And that, I assume that's what you meant by go nuts. Yeah, exactly. Um, devote as much as half of your work day to your one thing. 
Um, in real estate sales, it's obviously generating more clients. That The people who do that the longest and the most are always the most successful in our experience. And we encourage people to ask that question of their career. And most of the people we've met, um, we just got off tour, Bob, and I think we've spoken now to over 18,000 people. So I've had a lot of conversations with people. And I sometimes will just ask them, so what is it you do? And are you clear about your one thing? And I'll tell you that about 80% of the professionals I meet, they know what their one thing is. And they also feel a little guilty for not having done more of it. So I think that most people have figured it out or very close to figuring it out. Um, You know, when you were putting this book together with Gary, was there an aha moment for you guys or for you in particular? Well, I think for me, um, my trade is a writer and a publisher, right? I'm I'm an executive here. I had a huge aha. Um, We spent so long working on this book and we got so close to the material. At one point, it became so hard for me to explain the simplicity of it because I had such a complex understanding of it. And we actually turned in the manuscript. The book is now under 240 pages. Mm. But when we turned in the manuscript, it was 400 pages long. Ooh. And that was an aha moment <laughs> because we were three months away from having to go to print. And our publisher very smart eloquently remarked, if someone buys the one thing, gentlemen, I don't think they expect to see a doorstop. And mm. so our aha was is that if you get really into your one thing um, – you can kind of be a little bit OCD about it. You can be a little obsessive. And we knew stuff that if you're down this journey, five years into the journey is relevant, that for someone just starting out, it didn't make sense. So we cut almost 40% of the manuscript um, right in the last three months. And that was huge for me because it was a great, one, it was a great decision. It made the book infinitely better. But it also was this idea of if you study something and you really are on that journey to mastery in it, you're gonna pick up such a depth of knowledge it's actually tougher to explain it to a beginner. And we had to really focus on getting back in touch with what were our first steps like? What does it really feel like to start implementing this? Mm. And that was a big aha moment for us. Do you think there's going to be a second book out, The One Thing Part Two? You know, I do think the next step for us will be um, The One Thing Part Two. That's actually, you know, funny in itself. The second <laughs> thing, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of people ask us if we would help them develop a workbook. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the books I've worked on in the past was a book called body for life. And it was a book on fitness and health. And we did a workbook for that that was very well received. So that's something that we're actively exploring right now because things like figuring out your one thing, figuring out a schedule for time blocking it, working on your purpose. Those are all things that exercises would be helpful. And we've seen that in the classroom. So, um, if there is a sequel, that probably would be the next step for us. Mm. Yeah, mapping out your one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the book's full of interesting stuff. There are anecdotes in here, uh, lots of diagrams and, and stuff like that. Um, how this, should somebody approach this book? Can they skip around in it or should they read from page one all the way through? I think it's a page one um, and then as far as you need to go. Um, mm. Around the, the middle of the book, I guess around page one, I'm looking at the table of contents, around page 118, if they wanted to stop, they could stop. Mm. We almost did. Um, (laughs) We asked the question again and again, what's the one thing that the reader needs to know? And that's the focusing question that's in the book, um, such that by knowing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. So we tried to line up the content by order of necessity for them to learn this. 
So we begin with this, you know, the not so traditional introduction where we kind of get to the heart of the matter. We spend about a hundred pages trying to get the bad thinking, we call them the lies, kind of out of the way so that people can focus on what they need to focus on. And then we kind of give them the truth right there at the heart of the book. And we almost stop there. We almost cut, that would have been about 70% of the book hmm. um, from the original manuscript because you could actually put the book down right then and get going. And the second or the third part of the book called Extraordinary Results is really about all the things that you can do to turbocharge that and implement it. And we felt that was necessary. But I know lots of doers, like the, the classic entrepreneur, you give them an idea and they're off and running. So I'd expect a lot of them, if they can get to about that 12th chapter, they're going to be up and implementing um, and then maybe picking up the rest as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, um, in section three, you've got this thing called The Journey. Can you explain that a little bit? The journey, gosh, you know, this idea um, that Gary carried around for him, there's the there's a quote I, I keep on my bulletin board by Reed Hastings. And he said, as a businessman, I'd rather be selling vitamins than I'd rather be selling aspirin than vitamins. And I love that because people tend to respond to things that take pain away. Um, it's a very it's a visceral thing. It's something that they can feel. And a lot of t- times things like vitamins that make us better um, they don't always show up as evident. I, I take a vitamin every day, and I can't for sure tell you what it's doing for me, but I trust science that it'll do something for me over the course of my life. Mm. The aspirin in this book is this idea that if you live your one thing, you'll have a life of no regrets. And that feels a little bit like a downer to lead with, and it is something that we ended the book on, this journey, this living a life of no regrets by focusing on the things that matter, time blocking them and understanding that if you're always living in your priority, you'll have no regrets. We read a book by a lady named Bronnie Ware called the five regrets of the dying. And I don't know if you remember this section of the book, but, um, I, she had been a hospice nurse for many years and, and it, anecdotally, I don't think it was considered hard to research, but she had rolled up the top five regrets of the dying. And the number one thing that people regretted was this idea that they'd live someone else's life, not their own. And I don't know about you, Bob, but I know people who became lawyers and doctors because, really not because they wanted to, but because their parents expected them to. And I think about them when I read that section. So the journey, in my mind, is understanding that you get to choose what your life is going to be about. And ideally, you'll understand the most important thing at the heart of it so why not start living that right away? Um, you know, I tell people that the first domino is them. They have to decide to start pursuing this because the world certainly doesn't line up around it. Oh, for sure. Oh. And sometimes your career doesn't line up around it either. Or your boss. Yeah, um, <laughs> especially I your mean, boss. Yeah, I mean, today's modern workplace is a circus of distraction. There's just no doubt about it. We have so many meetings and there's so little time to do the stuff that we agree to do in the meetings. Um, one of the stories that I loved that came out of this book is I discovered this company called the Y Combinator and they have completely changed their corporate culture. Um, there are no meetings in the mornings. That's when people do their one thing, whatever it is they said they were going to do program, a new computer, um, set up the next website and then they can meet in the afternoon to talk about it and do their next thing. Mm. Um, but I love this idea that they had divided the day into two parts, the part of the day for doing and then a part of the day for planning and discussing what they've done. 
And I don't think that most modern companies have that rationale, rational view of time. Um, even in our own company, we struggle to get people on the same page. What do you do if you've got your time block for your one thing and your boss calls you into your office? Well, you got to go. Mm-hmm. So it's a, at its highest level, it needs to be a, a culture change in business. I, I find that a lot with uh, my clients that I'm when I'm working with them. It's for me, it's let's get started so we can see where the problems are, so we can have a meeting. Let's not have a meeting and discuss things that may not ever happen. And I think a lot of meetings are wasted uh, by people. What happens if this happens? And let's have a strategy for something that we haven't even started yet. Yeah. I- one of the outcomes, one of the things we do before we write a book, this is, gosh, I'm looking at the wall. I think this is the, the eighth book that Gary and I have worked on together. Mm. And one of the things that we do at the very, very beginning of the process is we imagine what the reader might do, how they'll behave differently after they've read the book. And mm. the first thing we wanted people, the thing that we most commonly said is we want them to put the book down and ask the question, what's my one thing? Mm-hmm. Probably the second thing that's come up, because this is a business book, is we imagined and we hopefully imagine people sitting in that meeting and kind of saying, you know, slapping their hand on the table and saying, all right, folks, what's the one thing we need to discuss about this? Such that by, you know, getting people focused because so much stuff just shows up in those meeting rooms that is so tangential to the work being done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, or, or going to a meeting that doesn't even have a, a, an agenda, like it drives me nuts. I'll come into a meeting, I'll be invited to a meeting, I arrive. And I sit down and say, okay, what are we going to talk about here and what do we have to accomplish? And they say, well, you know, we got a couple of things. It's very vague. There's nothing written down. And every single one of those meetings I consider a waste of everybody's time. It's very frustrating. I know some companies have basically banned meetings that um, they don't have an agenda. Mm. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it, it, it's, if, if you don't know what you're trying to get done, how, you, how do you know if you're ever going to get close to it? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much a recipe for disaster. It's an excuse for not doing work, in my mind. When people get together to do that, why don't we just meet at the the coffee station and have a cup of coffee and just talk? I mean, I can ask you about your weekend there. Yep, exactly. Um, For people, you know, business people, what is the one thing that they need to do to, uh, or what is the one tip that you could give them for them to get into the one thing mentality? Um. I'll, I'm going to divide that into two categories mm-hmm. for the executive, the entrepreneur, the people who have control over their day. I think it is they need to ask the question for themselves and for their business. What's our one thing? Mm-hmm. You know, most of the most successful companies that we studied and we outlined a ton of them in the chapter success leads clues are very clear where their revenue comes from. And there's always one product or one service that leads the way. And if you can get total clarity about that as a leader, it will absolutely change the way you prioritize the things that you're doing around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a leader, I think getting very, very clear on that, if you're an employee, right, so you're still succeeding through someone else or for someone, I think sitting down with your boss and getting very clear with your boss about what the one thing is that you can do to further your career and get buy-in on that is something that we do Um, systematically in our organization from day one through the 90-day training period and on a weekly basis through their career. We have formalities that we set up to make this happen. But it really is a bad feeling as an employee if you don't feel like you're in sync with your boss about where you're going and what the number one priority is for you. 
And if you can get in sync on that, I mean, huge things can happen for you. So mm -hmm. that would be the two things. If you're the boss, get really clear what we're in business for. And if you're the employee, make sure that you've checked off with your boss about what your one thing is, because that's how you'll succeed and advance further in your career faster. Wow. Um, the one thing, the surprising simple truth about extraordinary results, Gary and Jay slapped this sucker together really quickly. Nah, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, amazing book. Uh, a lot of thought has gone into it, obviously. Where do people go if they want to learn more or once they've read the book to get even more out of the book? Well, we have a website, kind of our home base, and it's the one thing.com with the number one, not written out. So it's the one thing with the number one.com. And we've been barnstorming the country with seminars, and we'll be launching a whole second tour soon if people would like to come to one of the workshops. And in June, we'll be launching a telecoaching program where we'll have um, telecoaching calls to help people walk through eight weeks of exercises to kind of implement their one thing. It's part of our development around the workbook. We felt like we could facilitate that conversation. You know, it's interesting. You just said eight weeks of exercises. Is that the number that you guys, you know, basically you read the book and, and if you follow it uh, religiously, within eight weeks you'll be reaching goals? Or, or, or what, why would the eight weeks? It's actually, you know what? It's actually 12 sessions. I misspoke. And it does line up. Um, in our book, one of the chapters there is um, A Disciplined Life is a Lie. And if you remember, if this was stunning to me. Well, one of the things we advocate is if you figure out what your one thing is, um, then to build a habit of doing it. And so we looked into the science of habit formation. And there's been a lot written about this, but this was the first time I'd ever encountered this research. Mm. The College of New London asked a, a large number of graduate students to adopt a new habit. And usually they were health habits, everything from drinking eight glasses of water a day to quitting smoking. And then they tracked them for a year and they just asked them two questions. Did you do it and how hard was it? And what they discovered is it takes 66 days on average to form a new habit. So we actually did think about that when we looked at the 12 session over 12 week time frame. We wanted to give people 66 days so that they could implement a new habit as a part of the process. Um, does a habit have to be something you do every day? Let's say if you're going to get into a um an exercise regimen, if you only exercise three times a week, do you have to do it for longer to hit the 66-day mark, or does it actually become ingrained after 66 days, even if it's not every day? I look at it as 66 repetitions. Okay. That would be my view, and we had to look at this. We were building an app to help support people doing this, and we had to actually then go through the mechanics, and I do things like that. I work out with a trainer three days a week. And so I think of that as my weekly habit. Either I hit it three days a week or I don't. I get a partial. Mm -hmm. But my goal is to hit it three days a week, every week that I'm alive, I'll be doing that because that's a great health habit for me. Some people run on Saturdays or once a year they go on a goal planning retreat. Those are all habits, but their frequency is quite spread out. Mm. Yeah, I try and go hiking every Sunday, but every now and again I'll miss it. But in the back of my head, it's okay. I can miss this Sunday because I've got a my one thing is actually my children this weekend because we're doing something. But next Sunday, my one thing will be go hiking again. There you go. See, I love that. I have a daily habit, a lot of them actually, but one of them I've, I've taken on this this year. I was struggling to read as many books as I wanted to read. And another author, and I'm trying to think of his name now, suggested just reading 10 pages a day. 
Mm. And um, I found that no matter how tired I am, I can read 10 pages of whatever book I'm reading every day. And I just figured a place for that. So that's a that's a habit I do seven days a week. But I have some that are different times. So yeah, the frequency thing is an interesting question. Um, you you might want to go to my uh, my podcast, thebusinessbooktalk.com, and uh, try listening to uh, a couple of minutes of the interviews every day to discover a new book. There we go. A new habit for me and your listeners. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jay, thanks a lot for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. And with um, us being focused, the one thing was to try and get this done in 25 minutes. And we're coming up on 25 minutes right now. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me and sharing um, our message with your audience. That was an awesome book. We have some great new books and authors for you to meet in the coming shows, and I know you will enjoy them immensely. You can contact me directly at contactbob.tell or visit our website at www.businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.